0: How are most creators with degrees in creative fields, especially high art, living today? What are some of the unexpected ways they're navigating the world of uncertain arts funding, dwindling local art scenes, and the attention economy? And what might we learn from them? My name is Emma Katrovas, I'm an opera singer turned experimental performer, and I decided to find out, one artist at a time. Each creator I interview is an answer to how to live as an artist today, and there are as many answers as there are artists. If you like the idea behind this podcast, consider subscribing to the newsletter sent out on the 13th of every month. You can find all the relevant links in the description. Here's to being on the verge and the fish were frightened. Beautiful. 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 So beautiful. Reginald Edmund is a Chicago-based playwright and co-founder of the Black Lives, Black Words International Project, which is an activist theatre organization that, quote, commissions, develops, and produces bold and unapologetic artistic responses to current social and political issues. Since its founding in 2015, Black Lives, Black Words has been active on two continents, in three countries, and nine cities. And I think Reggie would agree if I said he's also one half of a power couple. His wife, Samelia Hodge Dalloway, is a director and theater activist, founding and leading organizations such as Artistic Directors of the Future or Beyond the Canon, and is also the co-founder and executive producer of Black Lives, Black Words. Of the three people who inspired me to think about the phenomenon of artist-led organizations, I've already been lucky enough to talk to two. Omar Shariar in episode 1, and Miriam Gordon-Stewart in episode 3. Reggie is actually the first of my three inspirations. We met in Prague when Reggie attended the Prague Summer Program for Writers, for which I was an assistant at the time in, we think, 2008, and so I've been following Black Lives Black Words since it was just an idea that Reggie was crowdfunding through his wider circle of acquaintances, and it's been inspiring to see how much it grew in that eventful half-decade. Reggie and I talked about, among other things, the artist as griot, how the idea of community has shifted to be a more global phenomenon, about all the various performance and education projects that Black Lives, Black Words has undertaken, including how they pivoted to creating online performances as part of the Plays for the People series during the pandemic, and what it means for an artist to be, in Nina Simone's words, with the times.
1: I started off as an actor and I was in the city of Houston, Texas. And there wasn't a lot of opportunities for uh, skinny black guys with glasses and dreadlocks at the time. And so I was doing the acting thing and you know I wasn't getting really a lot of opportunities or a lot of roles or whatever else. And then one day I go into this audition and I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, um, militant little me at the time. And uh, I go in and I'm reading this audition and I throw down the script in the middle of the audition and like, this play is terrible. This is, this is awful. And the lady who ran the theater, she like pulled me out. She pulled me out quick fast. And she was like, okay, first off, even if this play is bad, someone has put their time and their energy and their heart and their soul into, into the, creating this work. Also, if you think you can do better, if you think you can create better, then go home and do it, right? So from there, I was like, all right, fine, lady. I'll go and do that. So uh, I go home. I lock myself away for like a week because that's what, you know, 21-year-olds do, you know, when they're like taking up a challenge. Uh, And so I, I lock myself away. I started typing away and Wrote this really awful play about this guy who who uh chases a girl to college and all this other stuff. And it was called a love story. And so I go back over there and I hand it to her, uh, and I'm like, fine, there's my play. What now? And so she goes, All right, well, now you're going to produce it, direct it, cast it, handle lighting, handle marketing, uh push the play, work the box office, everything, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. And I got one of the biggest educations about what it means to be an artist from that experience. And uh, for some reason, people really took to a love story. I think probably because the play was so bad, so many people were like, you have to see this play. But in the process of it, I fell in love with doing theater. And so I, so they were like, so what's your next play? And so I kept creating and kept writing and kept pushing. And eventually I became the artistic director of that theater, the Silver House Theater under the leadership of uh, and mentorship of Miss Marie Marcel, who was my mentor. And then I, I was like, I really love writing plays a little bit more than the administrative side of things. Maybe I should pursue that as a career. And so from there, I jumped to Ohio University, got my MFA over there, learned the craft of playwriting a little bit more. And from there, it's just been a crazy little journey. Uh, Yeah.
0: What was, if I may ask, what did you not like about that play that you are auditioning with?
1: (laughs) Ooh, Uh, I have to try to remember. I I just think that the characters were like, I think they were like stilted. I think it was kind of like a, it was like a Tyler Perry kind of play. You know, Lord, I need a man. Send me a man my way. You know, it was one of those kinds type of plays, and I was just like, this is. We need to be talking about deeper shit than this. But then I, I, my first play was about you know. Trying to find a girl to love, <laughs> but since then my work has matured.
0: But I'm sure if it were like really bad, they wouldn't have wanted you to produce it.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think, I think Miss Marie, she looked at me and saw someone who had a lot of energy and a lot of fire in him, and she was like, "How can I help this young angry little brother?" Uh, become a better artist and channel that, that, that bubbling up thing that I had going on in my soul towards uh, something that could help, really help the community.
0: it kind of seems like black lives black words is kind of like trying to be miss marie to like lots of artists
1: right (laughs) 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 i never really thought about that but yeah that kind of makes sense that really yeah that really does make sense i mean i created black lives black words because at this moment, it was around the same time as like the deaths of like Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, Sandra Bland and so, so many others. And I was feeling really frustrated because that same feeling that I had back in the, in my early 20s, you know, wanted to have my voice heard. I wanted to have the opportunity to speak on the issues that were taking place around me. I began to wonder how many other artists were also feeling that exact same kind of frustration you know because a painter they can just go out and paint you know a poet can just stand on a street corner and do their poem but there really isn't an avenue for for playwrights to really speak out and have their voices heard without having to go through six or seven different gatekeepers and so I really wondered how many other artists felt that same kind of frustration so I reached out put out a call and uh, we, we pushed forward. We, we made it happen. I gathered, we started off in Chicago. I reached out to five of the major black theaters in that community Pegasus Theater, Congo Square, ETA Creative Arts, Black Ensemble, and Impact to make an event take place that was really talking about the issues that were going on within our very young communities. Uh, and I had uh, reached out to a wide gambit of, of writers about who wanted to take part. And people were like, yes, I'm down. Chicago is a super tribal community, especially in this theater. So the fact that we gathered these five black theaters that companies that normally don't really work together or like each other was like historic. And we fire hazard the hell out of that theater that we we, uh, took that event to. People really responded to it. There was so much love and energy, laughter and excitement around what we were doing, which was incredible. And then from there, they were like, so what's next? So uh, me and my co-founder, Samilia Hodge Dalloway, we got even bolder. We took it to uh, various different cities. We first went to London to the Bush Theater, and we did the same thing, same process, and we filled up those theaters and those houses with with so much love and excitement and, and a need to speak out and have their narratives heard and told. And then we got bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually went to the Guthrie Theater, uh, one of the United States' biggest theaters. And we did the same process there. And we fire hazard the Guthrie Theater. I should stop saying fire hazard. We packed in the Guthrie Theater. People were like, yes, we need this. And so since that time, we've now served two continents, three countries, nine cities. We've expanded out into doing college takeovers. Well, first I should rewind and say, so a Black Lives, Black Words showcase is a short 10 minute series of plays uh, written by black writers. And so our college takeover was like, we realize oftentimes in colleges and universities, predominantly uh, uh, white universities and colleges, uh, they really just teach artists how to be artists, right? But they don't really teach them how to be uh, activists and art leaders upon their own campuses and their greater communities. So. That's what uh, the college takeover aims to do, and then from there, we've also created the Our America project, which is uh, about uh, providing the opportunity for POC, uh, LGBT, Indigenous, and and uh, those of immigrant descent to really speak about what the issues are around the uh, the American dream. Is the American dream real? Do they see themselves inside of it? Uh, and and then from there, also. Uh, we created an online bookstore. And also most recently with the pandemic hitting, we created the uh, Plays for the People series in which we provide the opportunity for uh, artists of color to partner with uh, other artists from around the globe to create works that specifically speak to the times that we're in Mm -hmm. and perform it virtually.
0: anything that surprised you about the stories that were told through Black Lives, Black Words that wouldn't be told without your platform?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a a rawness and a realness and just a genuine fire inside of these works uh, that provide artists to speak and tell their truths in ways that they normally would never have the opportunity to do in some of these other mainstream theater houses. They're able to just say the things that they might not be comfortable saying, or feel like uh, some gatekeeper out there would uh, push against. And so I think that's one of the, the really big lessons that I think I've, I've learned from this experience. And also, I think one of the, the most amazing things about this is that I have personally learned that you have to let those who are who are suffering. Uh, the communities that are struggling to have their voices heard in order for us all to hear the truth about the real plague that is taking place within our world. And these works are are totally unfiltered and, and providing that truth. Predominantly POC and Black artists, they feel like their voices, their narratives, they have to conform it to to fit a certain group. They have to make it so that the old blue haired ladies and their their dollars feel like they're they're getting they're not being, you know, so they try to conform their their message to to appease and to cater to these white audiences versus speaking to the very communities that they're part of and hoping to to really be a part of.
0: website you have a quote by Nina Simone. An artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to reflect the times. Yeah. Why did you choose that quote and what does it what does it mean to you?
1: Oh that's like that's like my my personal mantra as an artist. I think you know what we do as playwrights, as theater artists, as artists in general, we are the griots of our time. I have this saying that uh, my wife gets annoyed by which is the role of a playwright is to be both a a preacher, a politician, and a prophet. All of those roles, to sum it up, all of those roles really are fighters for their communities, for their people, right? And I'm a firm believer that you can't fight for the people if you don't love the people, and you can't serve the people if you're not willing to, to say the things that must be heard, that tell those truths, that, that need to be spoken, and so Nina Simone quote I think really fits into into that and encompasses that that whole philosophy that I, I that I feel an artist must take on.
0: Mm-hmm. Would you say that in that word reflect, it's to to be a truth teller?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think another uh, way of putting it is, you know, I think artists are kind of like the moon. You know, not only do we illuminate truth, but we also reflect it. And I think that's what we as artists are supposed to do. Yeah. And that's what I hope Black Lives, Black Words does.
0: You talk a lot about this energy of some of these performances. So if you had to like explain to someone, why is it important for us to invest in being able to perform live again? How would you do that?
1: What we do is a very sacred task, right? It's a very sacred moment that happens between audience and and storyteller. Uh, So I think there's a real, going all the way back to the ancient Greeks and to the African griots of the past, uh, there is something that is sacred there. Uh, You know, I think also... uh, there's been this this science that has been proven that when you get a large group of people into an audience, into a theater, into a small compact space, uh and they start witnessing a performance, all of a sudden their their heartbeats and their breath all sink in, in a way that, that's not done anywhere else. It, it solely happens inside of a live performance, right? Of like theater, which is which is a strange phenomenon. I think there's something about having someone standing on a stage that goes all the way back to that primal days of one person standing in front of a campfire in that hut or in that cave and speaking those words about whatever it might be that camp hunts or that are uh, ancient times or how the moon and the stars got put on the sky or whatever. That is like ingrained inside of our DNA. That's not that you don't get from like a sporting event. It's something about that live performance that is so sacred that goes, traces back to our our very first original uh, religion.
0: I thought I was going to ask the very predictable question of, well, how do you do activism through art? Mm. But then I realized that actually maybe a more poignant question would be, well, can you even have activism without art?
1: You know, I don't really believe that you can. I mean, I think about the the five tenets to like creating and building revolution. You know, you have, you have the masses, you have the activist you have the politician you have the the philosopher that theorizes what that movement looks like and then puts it into and onto the page so that we can get it but i think one of the most important aspects of activism of revolution of creating progressive change in this world is the artist because we take the things that the politician or the activist or the philosopher tries to put into place and and we make it into something that the masses can really gather around and understand and be able to see their own story reflected uh, in really exciting and bold, beautiful ways that they can't get from a, a law being put forward or put into some weighty book about why this moment now or whatever else, you know? Yeah, art is crucial for, for revolutionary change.
0: Mm-hmm. Who are some of your um, artist activist uh, models?
1: That's a good question. I think good old President Howell. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's a badass. I think uh, Wole Solenke, August Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, Lorraine Hansberry, Billie Holiday.
0: Mm-hmm. Nina Simone. And Nina Simone, <laughs> yes,
1: of course. Uh, I think all of those people, they, they had an understanding that that to create real actionable shifts in where we are and who we are and how we move, we also have to stir that fire inside of uh, the community's soul, you know, in a way that I think few, few really comprehend. And I think that's what makes them so, so revolutionary and, and such big heroes in my eyes.
0: When you say the word community, do you think that the meaning of that word has shifted um, now that we are so connected to the internet and we have this sort of global, you know, connection across long distances
1: going? Man, you're asking the tough questions.
0: I know. I always I do think... that. Every.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. I love it. So one, I think activism originally, the thought was, oh, if you're not, doing the thing that's local, that's in this small little hub right here, then your activism doesn't matter, right? But I think now more than ever, because of globalism, because of we have to recognize that we are not in this fight alone, I think it's super important that, um, that we recognize that our community is, is ever expanding, right? And it's not just in our, our little small block, and it's not in our just our, our neighborhood or in our city, but it is a global a global community, community and we need to be serving and fighting for each and every one of us you know uh, we can't just fight about we can't just fight for black lives matter and ignore our indigenous brothers and sisters. We can't fight for uh, our indigenous brothers and sisters, but ignore trans community or uh, our womanism. You know, we have to we have to constantly be fighting for each and every single person um, in more ways than just merely tokenism or nepotism or or uh, just let me help out my my buddy or this person who, who might benefit me in the, in the long run. We also have to be looking out for every single person, from the lowest part of the totem all the way to, to the top.
0: Black Lives, Black Words is an international project. That's the, the subtitle, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have artistic associates from all across the globe. And our, our mission is to bridge Black communities all across the globe to, to unite and to put our work and our art forward. We are predominantly an organization that fights for and provides employment opportunities for Black artists. We feel that we have a mission to take care of and to support artists of all different backgrounds. If one of us suffers, another suffers. And so we need that change happen together. And so that's how we do it.
0: You did a, a really good job pivoting during the pandemic to this online um, season. I saw one of the plays, I saw your your play Right Share. You used the, the medium of Zoom. Can't believe that's like now a theatrical medium. Mm. The medium of Zoom to, uh, to tell the story. So I was wondering about that process, finding all of the ways that you can use that.
1: I think one of my greatest virtues and also probably one of my greatest vices is that I I lacked the ability to sit my ass down. <laughs> Once again, I felt this this need, this bubbling up inside of me that that something needed to be done. There was too many voices that weren't being provided the opportunity to to put their work forward in this in this time of pandemic. Everything was stalled, you know, Broadway was stalled, the theaters were closing, the restaurants were being shut down clubs or being whatever else. So I felt the need to put forward these narratives uh, and provide an opportunity for artists from around the globe to work with each other in a way that uh, I never would have been able to do because we're a grassroots organization oftentimes. So to be able to bridge our network in a way that an artist in LA can work with an artist in New York or an artist in London can work with an artist in in Minneapolis, or an artist in Nigeria can work with an artist in, you know. So I saw this huge, amazing opportunity to like really bridge the diaspora and, and put artists who might never have heard of each other or might never have worked with each other into the room, into the virtual room and be able to work together. I thought it was an amazing opportunity. And then, oftentimes, one of the big struggles with being a uh, a producer and being a community-driven uh, uh, activist and artist is oftentimes you put other people's works uh, ahead of yourselves. Uh, so I really wanted to, for once, put my work out there at the very top of the piece, which is Rideshare, which you spoke about earlier. And then build a season in which uh, I'm bringing in some of the most exciting artists that, that I respect and adore uh, into that space. So I partnered with Sim, my co-founder and my wife, who is probably one of the most exciting theater artists uh, of our generation, I feel. I suckered her into directing my play. Uh, she didn't know she was going to be directing the play until I told her. And she, she was like, who's directing your play? And I was like, surprise. you!" So... It provided us an opportunity to really work together in in a really different way than what we normally work in, Uh, usually as as like administrative collaborators. This time around, we got to really be uh, partners in crime and creating work lifted from the Zoom camera, right, and and became something that was a little bit more uh, uh, theatrical and ambitious and also in some way cinematic at the same time. And we hope that would serve as kind of like a template for the rest of the works that we were producing to be able to follow and say, oh, okay. So we see this. How can we how can we build it upon it or upgrade it or challenge that kind of a storytelling method? So I think we're one of the first people that really like pushed the Zoom theater boundaries, I guess and I think probably one of the first people to actually start actually producing in the Zoom uh, format during this time of the pandemic. It it really came out of of wanting to have, to put money in the pockets of artists that I love and adore and also provide some really exciting, groundbreaking artists the opportunity to, to speak to their communities.
0: This is a good time to listen to a bit of Reggie's play, Rideshare. It's a one man show written for Zoom and performed in this case by Kamal Angelo Bolden and directed by Samelia Hodge Dalloway. Reggie will talk a little more about the play afterwards.
2: Fate is funny. The next rider gets in the car, jumps in the back seat, and says, Driver, we're going to the Palmer House. And um, I got a really important conference call, so if you can keep the radio off, I greatly appreciate. it. I recognize that voice. My dark rider recognizes it, too. I think I forgot to mention that um, I don't drive alone. There, sitting next to me, invisible to all but me, is my dark rider he comes to me in various forms. Sometimes he's dressed in these red fabrics, in these golden threads of a livery driver of the 1800s. A noose around his neck, stretching it long. And other times he's a Jitney driver from the sixties or the seventies. Bullets torn through him, but he's there. Nobody can see him but me we lock eyes. Ten generations of rage staring back at me, mouth wide open, uttering nothing. Yet, I hear his whispers. His words echo in my mind. Holy shit! Oh, my man! Taurus, is that you? I guess it's safe to say that he recognizes me too. My man! I correct him um it's Marcus fuck my life it's Craig Craig the little shit that was smiling at me the entire time I was in that small fucking conference room as they were explaining to me what my joke of a severance package looks like hey Craig holy shit you're an uber driver
1: pandemic happened, I was like, I gave, just gave up my, uh, my work as a Uber driver. What Rideshare is about is this guy who uh, is an Uber driver and, well, first off, he, he works in corporate America and then eventually he loses his job and he's forced to become an Uber driver and he slowly descends into madness because of the people who infest his 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 car and his space and his 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 sanity. That was loosely based off of my own life. I really wanted to explore that. And I had this moment in, in this pandemic where I didn't have I was wondering what to do next. So I created this work and I just sat down, locked myself away for a couple of days, uh, a week, you know, and I churned it out. And I was like, all right, boom. Now I have this play. And I really did kind of actually picture it for 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 Zoom. I mean, I didn't really, you know, I don't really know how that play would work on a main on a on a stage. I'm sure it would be cool, or like having somebody in a car inside of that. But we really did create it for for the Zoom platform, and now we're upgrading it to become like a, a short film and exploring it through that means uh, in like a in a like a theatrical kind of way. We were kind of shaping it at, together. As we were going through, as we were going through the creation of it,
0: mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you would have written it differently if you didn't think you were writing it for that medium.
1: If I didn't write it for Zoom, I probably would have put it into into like more hands, right? I would have had more actors in the space. In this work, uh, he becomes he becomes those characters. He he interacts with those characters. He just lets you know how how those characters were that come in and out of his space. I think there's something really magical about having that kind of a, a one actor telling that i think it's a real testament to to and a real challenge to, to the actor and to the director and to the, the playwright to create a one person narrative that's drives that has a drive behind it if i wasn't uh, confined to the zoom platform I wasn't confined to the online platform I think I would have probably been like oh yeah we can bring in people and have like him interact ultimately I think that would have lost some of its fire and its heart inside of it if I had done that
0: yeah that's interesting some, yeah sometimes having certain limitations can actually be a source of inspiration
1: yeah, yeah I, I think it also goes back towards like the Griots and the and the and the ancient Greeks and how they told stories and it was just one person on that on that stage and uh, I kind of really was fascinated by the idea of bringing it back to the very essence of, of storytelling
0: and the actor who carried that was just incredible
1: yeah Kamal Angelo Bolden. he's he's a he's an amazing actor he's going to be someone to watch out yeah. for. To roll out another season of play for the people series uh, so I'm super excited about that our online bookstore is expanding even more so if you can check that out folks and then you know I'm really starting to really investigate what it means to have a distributional power who handles our distribution uh, of our film and our television and our content who is our gatekeepers inside of that world that, uh, and so as I'm, I'm growing more and more in depth into film and things like that, I'm really curious and investigating how do artists of color, specifically artists of color, build more agency and power underneath them? And like what it means to create like the possibilities of creating like a Netflix or an Amazon or, like a, or a Hulu that is specifically centered towards narratives of color. And so uh, that's something that I'm really investigating right now. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Black Lives, Black Words is a super guerrilla theater. You know, we, we use our networks and we have a small ragtag team that make things happen. But uh, I'm really investigating how to put m- more power in the creative's hand versus into the hands of people who get paid to say no.
0: Yeah. Well it's it's an extra challenge I think right now with this on with these online conglomerates you know like net, Netflix mm-hmm. and, and Amazon and all this I mean it's it's in a way it's never even as it's easier than ever to create a platform online it's also harder than ever to to compete with these these big um you know yeah. conglomerates you know it's kind of an uphill mm. battle for for artists right now who don't want to be participating, yeah, totally. basically even youtube i <laughs>
1: know <no. laughs> you
0: know yeah. like it's just um it seems like on the internet it's just inevitable mm. that that eventually someone's going to try to um consolidate everything you know
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: You talk about revolution, um, and you talk about a better world. Um, If you can kind of paint that picture for for us, what that what that would look like? If you could, if Mm -hmm. you could envision um, that world.
1: I'd like to use this platform now to announce my presidency. Uh, That I'm running (laughs) for president. Uh, No, (laughs) no, uh, no. I, I. I think it just really goes back to, you know, uh, you can't fight for the people if you don't believe in the people and if you don't love the people. And so I think really it's a matter about just wanting to take care of each other, Um, wanting to wanting to have the best for each other, you know, and, and give each other a platform for true justice and making sure that people have their voices heard. That the people are are taking care of, we eliminate the exploitation of of others. You know, I think we really just got to just be better at, at at showing love for one another and taking care of each other, and really, yeah, that's what I uh, that's what I think. Yeah.
0: Do you think that since twenty fifteen, when you started this project, that things have improved or that there has been some some fundamental progress made?
1: Yeah, I'm I, I think I'm seeing a a change inside of like who's running those establishments and organizations. I think we're seeing a change in some of the, sometimes I think we're seeing like a shift inside of the work uh, that is being put onto the stages. I think uh, a part of that is because of organizations like Black Lives, Black Words and and other activists and other voices who are also working to put essential and important narratives on stage. That doesn't complement white saviorism and really just celebrating the narratives of of diverse cultures and backgrounds and of all people. Uh, So I see that. But at the same time, I also see also see nepotism and tokenism and and, (laughs) and. Putting works forward that that uh, onto some of our bigger stages that that are uh, hurtful to towards various different communities without uh, without uh, consideration to that and just merely to. Profit off of off of black pain.
0: Do you want to say what some of those specifically are?
1: Neil Levy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh Mamet, mm-hmm. you know, Sleigh uh, Play, Neighbors. Uh, you know, some of those works are real stabbing towards the pain and and you know, uh, towards the black experience. And I think some are are towards limit uh, or towards just. It runs the gambit, you know, and I think we we, I'm not saying we need to like cut all those works out, but I think we should also give equal platform and equal praise and equal illumination towards the works that are really about uplifting and celebrating and not just our pain, but also our joy and our beauty, you know, and I think that's something that's super uh, essential.
0: Parting words, do you have any like words of advice or warning to young artists who want to create in the spirit of, of activism?
1: One, I think every artist considering this should know that what they're doing, they're coming from a rich heritage, of and that it, it's a sacred task. I think that's super crucial for people to know. And then also, I think that they aren't alone in this battle. There's people that believe in them, and want them to succeed and that they should seek them out and find them and gather them around them as much as humanly possible. And just believe in yourself and and nobody else is gonna believe in you quite as hard as you do. So I think that's that's what I would say.
0: Clive's Black Words is, like Reggie said, planning another Plays for the People series where you can watch live plays over Zoom, so that's something to keep an eye out for no matter where you live. I've dropped the link to their website in the description. If you want to follow the On the Verge blog, YouTube channel, and podcast, go to OnTheVergeTrilogy.com, no Ws, there you will find all relevant links to the monthly newsletter, the patrons page, social media, recent uploads, etc. Instagram is also a good place to follow. I try to post some backstage previews in my stories almost every day. Here's to being on the verge!